1 Corinthians 14, who's ready to talk about some tongues? <laughs> Let's read the first 12. We're going to split this into three weeks. So not all your questions will be answered this week, but it's going to be a good movement into uh, all your questions being answered in the course of chapter 14. These are difficult subjects that we're talking about. There's a lot of confusion amongst Christians today. We're going to be very clear and very thorough, and we're going to stick with what the Lord says. Amen? We're going to believe, because here's what we want. We want all believers to have knowledge of what Scripture teaches about everything that Scripture teaches because all of Scripture is God-breathed and it's important to uh, correct us. It's important to build us up into mature Christians. We need to know about stuff that maybe even might make us feel a little uncomfortable. Let's read the first 12 verses. We'll pray and we'll get started. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with, if, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all your word. Father, thank you for the, wor the uh, parts of your word that encourage our souls, uh, Father, and, and, and make us just fall more in love with you. And thank you for the parts of your word that, that causes uh, mental grief and anguish at times as we try to decipher and interpret and figure out what you are saying to your church. God, give us grace this morning as we unpack tongues and interpretation and prophecy and give us grace for the next several weeks as we unpack these things. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. And every Christian said, amen. amen. All right, and here's how we're going to start. I'm going to start with a warning and a challenge. Because there's two groups of people. There's the group of people that are the, the careful continuationists. 
We believe that there's nowhere in scripture that says that the geese, the, the, the geese, the gifts stopped after the first century church. Uh, uh, so, so we believe that God can still continue to use these gifts mentioned both here in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, Romans chapter 12. However, the warning goes to the continuationists. I put my guard hat on for my own team quickly because in the charismatic world, which I've often referred to as charismania, the charismaniacs, I have never been in a charismatic church service that followed 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Here's what that means. Like the church in Corinth, they were using the gifts very, very wrongly. My entire experience within the charismatic world is the operation of gifts in the wrong manner. Uh, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a rebuke to charismatics who are using gifts the wrong way. So the warning is read the words of the text and Review your practice of how you use these gifts and line up your practice from this moment on with the actual text of Scripture because you're just doing it wrong. Now, here is the challenge because there's another group of people in this room and I'm part of, I'm part of both these groups that that group of people is is all my reformed brothers and sisters who come from traditions that have just always believed these gifts are no longer in operation today well some of them are service administration uh, you know people being sent God can still do miracles but when it comes to tongues uh, and interpretation and a lot of times prophecy as we'll talk about prophecy uh, in the third week a little more in detail uh, those don't don't exist anymore. Brothers, a challenge to you. Here's what I want from you. I want you to love and care about 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as much as you love and care for Romans chapter 8. Right? With the same zeal and with the same gusto. Because right, when a reformed guy, when he goes to Ephesians 1, it says right here, saw God is sovereign, all things work according to it. I want you to have that same belief, that same faith, that what the Bible teaches for in Rome is not just for the church in Rome for a short time, but it's for all of us today, amen? God's sovereign plan of salvation, it is for us today. There, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 doesn't begin with Paul saying, uh, don't worry so much about this because it's only going to be another 10 years and we won't have to worry about it anymore. There's an entire chapter. This isn't just a blip verse in some obscure ending of a book somewhere. An entire chapter written in the imperative didactic command just like Romans 8 is written just like Ephesians 1 is written just like John 10 is written just like Acts chapter 13 is written right uh, th this is instruction for the church on how to use gifts the right way it should not be swept under a rug you can't go to Romans 8 and says and say it says right here and then come to 1 Corinthians 14 and says well that doesn't matter it doesn't really mean what it says you can't do it it's intellectually dishonest to treat your Bible in that way so a challenge for the charismaniacs you're doing it wrong get in shape and to the reformed brothers 
this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. It's easier just to say it doesn't matter, but it is God's word and I need the correction of God's word in my life. So I'm going to be open and honest about the text. And I promise I will be fair and loving to each as we walk verse by verse and chapter by chapter by chapter in this one chapter, verse by verse. I will do my best uh, to be loving and gracious. Here's where we're going to start. Now, the context, we've read the 12 verses. The context of these 12 verses is prophecy is a greater gift than tongues. That is the big idea in these first 12 verses. Hey, there's tongues and there's prophecy. Desire prophecy. Prophecy is a greater, more necessary gift in the church. But we're not going to start with prophecy. I want to start with tongues because most people have more questions about tongues. And we see tongues uh, introduced here. We saw tongues introduced in chapter 12. Go back to chapter 12 quickly with me. Two lists of giftings in chapter 12. The first is in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, which is discernment, and then to another, underline this, various kinds of tongues, various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now we remember what John Chrysostom in the fourth century said about why these were mentioned last because the Corinthians were very proud of their ability to speak in tongues so uh, Paul puts it last in the list to show them it's the least necessary of all the other gifts to put them in their place and I think John Chrysostom was true in saying that. Look at verse 28 let's read this second list of gifts much of which is the same as the first but we, we add some new gifts here. Verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and here we see it again, various kinds of tongues. Now, could various kinds of tongues in both these places simply mean there's lots of different languages? Well, Paul actually says in our text today, of course, there's lots of different languages. But I think it means something more. There's, there's tongues used in Scripture in various ways with differing purposes. And that's what I want to unpack this morning. Now, we're not going to get into prayer languages and things like that this morning. That's all next week when we hit verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, that's when we're going to unpack what is uh, what a lot of people call a prayer language. Is it for today? What does it mean? What is its purpose? We're going to unpack all that next week. But today, this is just general information and knowledge about the various ways tongues are used in Scripture. Not in our emotional ecstatic experience but in scripture how to why does God give this gift so if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 2 the first time we see tongues used in scripture we're going to start in verse 1 we're going to work down through verse 13 because what are the question is why does the Bible say various kinds of tongue? What, how do they vary? What are the different purposes for the use of a tongue? And how could that relate to us today? Now, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, 
Listen, and Pentecost is not a Pentecostal holiday. It was a Jewish holiday. Pentecost simply means the 50th day, uh, because Pentecost celebrated the 50 50 days after the Passover. It was also called the Feast uh, of Weeks, the Shavat in uh, the the Hebrew uh, tongue. So this is an actual Jewish thing that these Jewish Christians who believe in Jesus are going to. Remember, after Jesus rose, after Jesus ascended into the heavens and left his disciples, he told them to wait Something's going to happen first. Uh, You need to be empowered by my spirit. So wait for the paraclete, the helper, the comforter to come. Remember, keep this as we're talking about. We're going to talk a lot about tongues. But remember the purpose of all spiritual gifts of preaching and teaching and helping and serving and pastoring. All the gifts from Ephesians 4, all of them, all of them exist to make much of Jesus that's how you know firsthand if something weird, ha- if you're in a church and something weird happens, if Jesus is not lifted up and glorified, you know things have been handled improperly. Things have not been done the right way. All gifts lift up King Jesus. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. God sends his Holy Spirit, the helper, to Acts 1-8, empower them to lift up Jesus and make his name great through their missionary and evangelistic and church planting efforts that is the purpose of Pentecost so on the day of Pentecost they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind now the first thing right off the bat I want you to pick up on is this is a unique experience Right? Even in charismatic circles, people will say, what's happening in our church is the same thing that happened at Pentecost. No, it's not. Where's the wind, man? <laughs> right? This is a unique one-time event that happened in history where God unleashes his spirit on his church so his church can be his church, making much of Jesus in the world as the church has been doing for 2,000 years now and as you and I get to be a part of now. We've already talked about this, so I don't want to belabor, but remember the Tower of Babel when, when God told the sons of Noah to spread out and multiply and fill the earth. What did they do? They put up a tent and they camped out right there and they didn't go anywhere else. And so as they became large, a larger population, they decided to make a tower uh, unto themselves so they can sit in the heavens as God. And God is, one thing we know from all scripture, God is not going to share his glory with anything less than himself. So what did he do? He confused their language so they could not work together and they had to obey. Listen, some of you, how many Christians in the room you've experienced God making you obey his word? Sometimes he gives you some choices, uh, and, and if we don't do well with those choices, God turns situations to where we have to do what he says. I'm finding that out with my diet right now as I talk to my doctor. There's just certain things I can't do anymore, and it sucks, but God is forcing my hand when I couldn't discipline myself on my own. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. Amen? Man, I love red meat. <laughs> just once a week now. (laughs) Confuse the language. Why? They couldn't work together. They couldn't get the thing done. They couldn't elevate themselves to God-like status. Pentecost, this unique 
prophecy that's being fulfilled from Joel chapter 2. We know it's Joel chapter 2 being revealed here because that's what Peter preaches in the sermon that happens right after this. Just like Jesus died on the cross once and for all, he rose once and for all. Jesus doesn't have to come back and continue to be crucified. It's a one-time event that happened in history. That's what we see here because this has never been reproduced in the Christian world ever since. No rushing wind. I have heard air conditioners turn on in a church before. Felt a light breeze. But no, no rush, no hurricane force winds. Look what happens next. The wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. Right. Cloven tongues of fire. If, if you've ever, if you've got a picture Bible and you, that you read to your young kids, I remember all the ones back in the day where my kids were young and we were doing picture Bible stuff. Uh, it showed the upper room with these, these little, these little uh, flames on top of each of the, the apostles' heads, right? They look like little, little candles, <laughs> candlestick people. Which when we studied Acts, those of you who remember 10, 15, 10, 12 years ago, we went through the book of Acts. We called the whole series The Burning Ones. Because what happened at Pentecost is God set his people on fire with his, the power of his spirit so they could be effective. All of the book of Acts is how effective the church was through the power of the Holy Spirit to make much of Jesus and to build a church where there was no church, where there had never been a church before. It's a miracle. And the miracles happen through the power of God's spirit. And you know it's done well if it makes much of Jesus. Rushing wind, tongues of fire on their heads. Uh, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. First time we see other tongues. What's the purpose? God confuses the language so they can't work together. What does God want for his church? Why does he bring tongues in on this special, unique day in history? Because he wants, it's a sign, he wants his people to be able. No, nothing dividing them any longer, complete. We're not uniform people. We don't all have to look the same, talk the same, dress the same. But in Christ, we are together. And there is no uh, dividing wall of hostility any longer. Our, the languages have even come back together so that we can work together in making much of, to remember you don't think about tongues on its own ever. Don't think about interpretation on its own ever. Don't think for that matter. Don't think about teaching or prophesying or serving or administrating on its own ever. All these things should be wrapped up in the motivation. Look at 14.1. Pursue love, it begins. All these gifts should be motivated by love for the building up of the entire church so that Jesus can be lifted up. It's our unity that is its purpose. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude coming together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language hear that now remember the man jerusalem at this time was what we call america a melting pot but jerusalem was truly a melting pot lots of different people lots of different languages please understand what a benefit it is 
for us in this room that we all speak one language. It means we, we can be, by God's power and spirit, an unstoppable force. As we know how to communicate with one another, we can hear one another and feed off one another to, to build up Christ in Ackworth and in Cartersville and in Kennesaw, as God is already starting his work there through Pastor Nick Tracy and, and those going with them. All right, so verse eight, uh, verse 6. And at the sound, this multitude coming together, they were bewildered. They're speaking. They're not us. They don't know our language. They don't know our dialect. But we hear them speaking our language and our dialect and, and, and all the little uh, notes, uh, uh, linguistic notes of our dialect. They're, they're nailing it. They're getting it perfect. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? Remember, Galileans... We're for the wrong side of the tracks. When word got to Jerusalem that Jesus from Galilee was coming and claiming he was the Messiah, they joked and said, can anything good come from Galilee? Right? Galilee's the other side of the tracks. It's just a bunch of fishermen living in trailer parks over there. That's, that's all Galilee was. These men are Galileans. They're nailing our language, they're nailing our dialect. How can this be? These are not learned guys. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, the Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, all parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome. They're all hearing both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now underline that mighty works of God. Because when we get to 1 Corinthians 14... It's very important that you understand this about any tongue, both ancient or in modern times. is an upward language. It's never a vertical language, uh, a horizontal language. It's always vertical. It's never horizontal, right? It's upward. What are, what are, the, what are they hearing, the tongues? They're hearing in their own dialect. These people worshiping and praising God, declaring they're not preaching a sermon here. Because for sermons, God has gifts like prophecy and teaching. Never a tongue. Never through a tongue does God speak to a group of people to preach a sermon. No, tongues is only, and I'm going to prove this when we get to both chapter 10 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. This is why charismatics, you, you use the gift wrongly. Every time I grew up, uh, somebody would give a message in tongues and then somebody would interpret and say, thus saith the Lord, you're going to have a great weekend. Here are your winning lotto numbers, right? You're going to get that building that you want. I'm going to help you, right? And it was always a message, through, uh, the interpretation through the tongue was always a message to the church. There is nowhere in scripture where that occurs ever. Everywhere tongues is seen in scripture. It is the worship of God. God, you are great. God, you are glorious. God, only you save. God, my only hope is you. Thank you for loving me. It's, it's always worship and extolation of God. It's a vertical language, which is why we're going to see Paul says it's for personal edification in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So they heard them. By the way, 
After this happens, what happens next? The Holy Spirit fills Peter to preach a sermon to the crowd. Right, in Koine Greek, which was the, thanks to Alexander the Great, which was kind of the, the universal language uh, throughout this, the whole uh, M- Roman Empire. Everybody had to learn it to, at least a little of it, to conduct business uh, and to trade and, uh, and uh, you know, own their, their businesses. Paul preaches in Koine Greek to the whole crowd then. And what does he tell them? Hey, this fulfills Joel chapter 2 in the Bible. And you need to know about Jesus. And 3,000 people got saved. So in this unique event in history, God uses tongues to get the attention of of the crowds that were there for the feast. And then he fills Peter to actually declare and prophesy and preach a sermon to where they hear about Jesus. And they're converted. Much is made of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 because of the use of the tongue and the use of prophecy. Now, one-time event. Remember, Acts is history. Move with me to Acts chapter 10. Second time we see tongues in the New Testament. You guys having fun? You like to learn? Sorry, it's a little like seminary today. If you're looking for the church that's going to help you balance your checkbook, it's down the street. If you're looking for the church that rubs God's belly the right way and your fillings turn to gold, that's down the other way. We care about the Bible here, what God says, because every man's a liar, amen? Only God's word is true. So Acts chapter 10, you know the story. Peter has the vision Don't call unclean what I've made clean. Then Cornelius, these Gentiles, ask for Peter to come and preach to them. Peter comes and he preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his entire family. And this happens. Look at verse 44 through 48. And we'll get back to 1 Corinthians 14. Man, we even cut take five short. And I've got less time at this point than I did in first service. While Peter was still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So, right, the Jews are there. They hear Peter preaches the gospel, and these Gentiles, these dogs, as the Jews would refer to them, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And they're amazed by it, because God didn't come to save them. God came to save us. But no, God is showing his people, this is bigger than you. It's always bigger than us. What God is doing through us is always bigger than us. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and, oh, what were the tongues doing? They were extolling God. Extol is another word for worship. It's always vertical. It's never horizontal. God, you are great. God, you are good. God, you alone are worthy. So they were hearing this and Peter declared. So what was the purpose of this tongue? It was a sign to these disciples that God really was saving Gentiles and that they should be fully included with all rights, privileges, and pleasures into the membership of the body of Christ. There was nothing holding the Gentile people back. God put his sign of approval on them through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which he puts on all believers. In this case, tongues were a sign to Peter and James and John and the other guys that this was really a God thing, not just these Gentiles uh, with cheap talk saying they wanted to be Christians. 
So then Peter declared, verse 4, what's the, what's the outcome? Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorified. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And they did remain and ministered to Cornelius and his family. And they were added to the church. Now there's one more time in Acts chapter 19. We're going to skip it because we don't have time. But it's the same thing as what happens here. There's some religious dudes who have been baptized by John, but they've never heard of the Holy Spirit or the church or how the Holy Spirit empowers the church to make much of Jesus. So Paul prays for them and they're filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. And it's, it's a sign to Paul, let's take that you've been baptized by John, but let's go back into the water because now you've got to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the New Testament Christian church, which makes much of Jesus. So once we see kind of a missionary tongue in Acts chapter 2 where people hear them glorifying God in their own language, the other two times in Acts we see that it's a sign that these people really are converted. But remember, Acts is a book that tells the history of the church. There is no verse anywhere in the Bible that says how it happened in Acts 2 or how it happened in Acts 10 is the way it's going to happen all the time, every time. So we don't make any hard and fast rules with this stuff because the Bible doesn't make any hard and fast rules. Are we trekking? You got, you, you got to hear this, right? Just because something happened in Acts doesn't mean that's the way it's going to happen forever, can God still do this? Can use a tongue as a sign that someone is truly repentant and being converted? Of course he can. God can do whatever he wants. But, but this is not theological rule. This is just what happened. In Acts chapter 6, they had the feeding tables. All right, And it was, it was going poorly, so six men were hired to manage the tables. Does every church have to have six men? Well, that's how it happened in Acts, that, that guard the feeding tables for the widows of the local church? No, this is just simply telling the story of what happened at this time. No hard, no new theological systems, amen? Now turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 14. We're still talking about the various kinds of tongues. We've seen tongues in a missionary style where an actual language is being spoken and the people on the ground who speak that language are hearing them worship God in their own language, which opens them up to hear a sermon in a language they can understand about Jesus. We've seen tongues as a time, as a sign, so that the apostles would, would truly know God's saving Gentiles too. But the context of chapter 14 are two different kinds of tongues. There is the the personal prayer of in a tongue, what a lot of people call prayer language, we'll talk about next week a lot more. And then there is the public use of tongues within a corporate gathered New Testament worship service. So here's our context. Are you ready? Pursue love. Why? Because you're going to get it wrong if love for your brother and sister is not the motivation. That's what chapter 13 is about. In the midst of all these gifts, it's love for one another that moves the church forward, that builds up everyone in the entire church so that Jesus can be made much of. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's the second time Paul teaches that. Chapter 12, verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Here, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Don't be scared of the gifts. Don't sweep the gifts under the rug. 
desire them. Brent, I just don't want to. Listen, you don't have to. If tongues just freaks you out, guess what? You're probably never going to speak in tongues. God is a gentleman. Amen? But we should desire all that God has for us. Twice desire the gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. Again, what's the context of chapter 4? Of the beginning of chapter 14? Prophecy is a great, not a better than, but it's a greater gift than tongues. So desire all the gifts. Desire serving. Desire administrating. Desire uh, teaching. But overall, prophecy. Why? Because prophecy is a spoken gift that is horizontal. It's when you're speaking to other people in a language that they understand so that Jesus can be made more of in their lives and in all our lives. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks... Now here it is, underline this. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men... But to God, here's the imperative didactic command concerning tongues. Tongues is never spoken to men. Tongues are worship. It's upward. It's spoken to God. That is its only function. That is its only purpose. We're going to talk about what that looks like a little more next week. It's never a message to the church. Right? If you're raised Pentecostal like me, you're always sitting in service going, man, should I speak in tongues? Does God have a word to speak to this church? No, look, if you're in the Bible, God's already speaking to the church. That's how God speaks to his church. Not through tongues, ever. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. We're going to tie that to Romans 8 next week. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That word upbuilding is actually an architectural term to edify, to build up. Think about uh, us as God's people with scaffolding all around us and the Holy Spirit, uh, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit are just constantly building us up, making us taller, making us more visible, making us stronger in Him so that we can make much of Jesus. Prophecy is greater for building up everyone in the room. Again, I told you this, maybe you got it, maybe it was the other service, but, but why, why don't we see tongues a lot? You know, if we believe this stuff, why don't we see it? We all speak English and prophecy is better than tongues. Amen? Prophecy speaks to everybody who can understand for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation of all of us. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Listen. So there is a purpose for tongues. Again, it's a, vertical, it's a vertical language. And it builds up the person. This is, a, this is what this private prayer tongue uh, means. It's when we're, we don't know what to pray. So uh, God gives a, a tongue, a, a dialect, a language to us that personally edifies us in our private prayer and in the corporate setting. Prophecy is always better. Tongues does have a purpose, though, in prayer. It builds us up. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Right? Paul doesn't say, don't worry, it's going to cease soon. He wants. Now, is everybody going to speak in tongues? No, we know from the rhetorical seven questions, not everybody's going to have this gift. 
But Paul wants everybody to have this gift. He wishes everybody desired this gift. I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Isn't that the complete flip-flop of any charismatic church you've ever been in? Right? Corinth, Corinth is like the Pentecostals today. They're just all about their tongues, 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 tongues. They have made tongues the main thing when tongues is the least necessary gift in the church. But yet you go into their churches and it's tongues, 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 tongues. And it's a good service if the Bible gets closed and no sermons preached. Boo! That's just bad theology. Bad theology. And it's not biblical. It's just not biblical. The one who prophesies is greater. Again, that's not, it's not better than. It's just more necessary. It's more necessary that all of us are built up. Which is why personal edification through a gift of tongues is for private use. We're going to see Paul. He, he uses the gift a lot, but he never does it corporately. Never. But what if there is a chance someone does speak in a tongue? Let's, let's keep moving in a corporate service. Now, brothers, verse 6, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If I just come to you speaking in a tongue, you're not going to benefit at all. I'll be benefited from it, but you won't be benefited at all unless it's made plain and I, I present teaching and actual knowledge to you in a way that you can understand. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Just think back to the office, right? When you play the wrong notes, it's called jazz. <laughs> Just play the right notes, right? If the instruments aren't playing the right notes, you're not gonna, you, you can't enjoy the song. You, you, it's unfamiliar to you. Watch this. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle in the ancient days? Man, when the, the horn sounded, when the shofar was blown, that meant enemies on its way. Grab your sword, grab your shield. It's time to fight. But if the bugle doesn't sound the way it's supposed to sound, you won't know what's going on. You military guys, you've got the reveille to start out your day. Oh, when that bugle, when you hear the bugle, you know that song. You know it's time to get up and get moving and get to work. But if, if it plays another sound, an indistinct sound, you're not going to know it's time to get up and get ready. Paul says, so this is just like you. So with yourselves, verse 9. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, uh, since you are eager for manifestations. Church was eager for the gifts. Because you are so eager for manifestations of the Spirit, 
strive to excel in the building up of the church. So the big idea from the first 12 verses is there are gifts. Gifts are for the church, but gifts should only be used from the motivation of love. And the greater gifts are the ones that build up everybody. Don't monopolize or capitalize on gathered church time with your own personal edification because this is not about you. This is about all of us strive to excel in building up the church. Now, tongues and prophecy for 45 minutes. Here's how we're going to end this thing. We're going to end this thing the way we always end this thing. It is fun to talk about some of these things in the Bible. It is fun uh, to get into eschatological groups and talk about how Jesus is going to return. It's fun to talk about spiritual gifts and and to, to walk through all the ins and outs and avenues. But remember, tongues, the gifts are not the main thing, just like eschatology is not the main thing other than Jesus is coming back, which everybody agrees. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing in all our discussions. So what is the main thing? The gospel. And here it is. God created everything good. We're the one. So what's the problem? We're the problem. Each and every one of us is the problem. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And there's nothing we can do. We were stained, just like that first song said. The blood that flows through Emmanuel's veins removes our stain. We were stained. There was nothing we could do to make ourselves right with God again. We were fallen. So God did something for us. He came all the way to where we're at. And he wrapped himself in human flesh and he did what we could not do he lived the perfect life he completely satisfied all the righteous requirements of the law what we could not he accomplished where we fell short he is the victor and because he's the victor he could do what no other human could do he could push us out of the way and absorb the wrath of God by taking our sin upon his perfect self and in that exchange our sin on him uh, paid for his righteousness imputed to us we are made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ his blood truly does wash us clean from sin our past sin our present sin and our future sin And then on the third day he rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And here's what that means. You and I in this evil world we live in. We don't have to cower down. Our enemies are already defeated. And this is spiritual. And we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against against, uh, the demonic in high places. And through Christ and this new salvation he gives us, knowing our enemies are defeated, we can stand strong and we can have courage and we can fight the good fight until he returns. And we do get to sit at his table and enjoy him forever. Wherever tongues falls into that scenario for you, praise the name of the Lord that we're even saved and are able to talk about his word together. Amen. So in the name of Jesus, may we know and have knowledge of these first 12 verses in 1 Corinthians 14. And may we leave this place loving Jesus more. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. Thank you for your word. We need your word. Correct us. Rebuke us. Encourage us. Build us up. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.